My mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today is the feast day of St. Michael and all angels. You know that because on the bulletin, there's a little tiny picture of an angel. Did you know that? Every Sunday, we have the name of the, of the Sunday printed on the front page of the bulletin. I have to learn all about these feast days. There's something new for me because Presbyterians don't recognize very many of them. Presbyterians have a slight disdain for anything they consider extra-biblical. So many of the saints' days are just too Catholic for us. (laughs) But we like the good ones, like St. Patrick. (laughs) Just like everybody else, Presbyterians dress up their kids like angels for Christmas pageants. So, you know, angels aren't outside of our realm of thinking. Despite all our efforts to the contrary, our culture has very strong ideas about God and images of God and angels. We still find lots of people imagining God to be an old man on a throne, sitting up somewhere in heaven, which looks kind of like England without rain or spiders. And this enthroned God is surrounded by angels who are usually buff, fit men with lots of hair hair on their heads and no visible body hair anywhere else. They have giant wings like raptors, halos, and they're alternately either wearing Greek togas or those Roman skirt things. They spend their days floating around on clouds, and they wait upon God like the servants in Downton Abbey. They play soft music on Celtic harps. They run errands, they deliver messages. I guess they do the dishes after the banquet. About 10 years ago, Philadelphia cream cheese had this series of ads claiming their cheese tasted like heaven. Do you remember those? There was a winged woman eating a bagel with cream cheese while another angel vacuumed behind her. She's like, this is heaven. There's so many stories of angels in the Bible. They're never doing any vacuuming, but they're sometimes putting on armor and holding flaming swords like in Genesis. It says, God drove out the man and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a sword flaming and turning to guard the way to the tree of life. So that's a, that's a really strong image of an angel. Sometimes the Bible, in the Bible, angels can be kind of like secretaries, placing a call and say, hold for the Almighty. So there's the burning bush story of Moses. It begins with, an angel of the Lord appeared in a flame of fire out of a bush. But then later in the story, the dialogue is directly between God and Moses. In the Psalms and prophetic books, angels surround God and sing to him like like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. Bless the Lord, holy, 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 glory to God in the highest. Those heavenly choirs, their favorite image for people who like to sing in large groups and imagine themselves in heaven. My favorite Bible stories about angels 
are when they bring snacks. Elijah tried to commit suicide by starving himself in the desert, and the angels appear to him and give him cake. Jesus spent 40 days and nights in the desert, and after being tempted, the angels attended to him. Also in that story of the temptation of Jesus, we're reminded of guardian angels from the Psalms. The devil quotes Psalm 91, for he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so you will not dash your foot against a stone. And then in Revelation, which we read today, we see angels flinging down the dragon to earth, which has been turned into the legend of Lucifer and the devil ruling over hell for all eternity. This is one of our favorite cultural stories, isn't it? Currently, you can watch the devil Lucifer juicily portrayed on Netflix by Tom Ellis in four seasons of a police procedural drama. So there's almost too many stories about angels now. So 21 centuries after Jesus, what are we supposed to think about angels today? Well, let's start with Genesis and the story we read of angels going up and down Jacob's ladder. This one captivated me as a child. I, I kind of imagined it like an escalator, you know, where they're just drifting past each other up and down. Because if they have wings, why do they need a ladder? And if you're on a ladder, how can you, go, you can only go up and down one person at a time on a, I don't know, it, I didn't get it. But that's because the angels aren't really central to the story here. The point is, when Jacob has this dream, God makes a covenant promise with him. That night, Jacob was running for his life. His brother Esau was mad enough to kill him, a murderous rage. So Jacob struck out alone to find his mother's family and start a new life for himself. It could have been a time of great despair for the young man. He's sleeping under the stars with nothing but a rock for his pillow. But Jacob's dream and God's promise of great blessings encouraged and sustained him to go on. But he doesn't have an easy life after that. He has to work hard for every small gain, but as he matures, he does reconcile with his brother. So I found it interesting that Jesus alludes to this story of promise in his first words to Nathanael. Jesus told Nathanael that as a disciple of Christ, he will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Imagery that intentionally links Jesus between heaven and earth. And the angels on Jacob's ladder become the symbol of authority for Christ. This ladder, the bridge, the connection between God and God's people. Now, as I was thinking about this sermon, I talked to a lot of people about what they think about angels. What is their opinion about angels? And I, I pretty much got two answers. Half of the people I talked to truly believe that guardian angels watch over them and have helped them to avoid danger. And the other half believes God is spirit and the material things we put upon God are just there to make ourselves feel better. God is unknowable and, and distant. 
I, th I think the answer is somewhere in between. I am watching for when we make God to be too human, when we think we can know everything about God's decisions or God's power. When God is too human, then the words in our Bibles become idols. We lose the sense that Bi the Bible's a collection of stories that are there to help us understand God in the context of culture. Last week, Chris did an admirable job of comparing Greek interpretations of parables with Hebrew interpretations of parables. And this same kind of thing applies here in this passage of, Re of Revelation. John is living on a Greek island of Patmos. He knew that his people needed biblical stories to match the great myths of Apollo. Our scriptures collect all this literature. They're a library of story and myth and instructions and laws. And when we use them correctly, we're using them to learn something about God. The message of God's comfort and care for God's people, that's the same. Whether you think angels are standing at the foot of your bed or exist only in the pages of a book. The Bible tells us God creates, God guides, God nourishes, God comforts, God protects. These are the important takeaways, not how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. The authors of our scriptures used the angels to move the plot line forward. We kept Jacob, what kept Jacob from despair as he ran across the desert fleeing for his life? What a beautiful image of the open heavens. A vision of angels ascending and descending. John's book encouraged that fledgling Christian movement to face the brutality of the Roman Empire. Those Christians needed strong military imagery. They needed stories with the power of myth to hold them up in their turbulent time. And our turbulent culture can leave us feeling much the same way. We wear angel lapel pins, we sing about angels in heaven, because we need that promise of God's comfort. We need God's nurture through these long, tedious days of our lives. We want there to be guardian angels when our kids buy a motorcycle or our husband buys a Corvette. And God gives us what we want. Nathaniel wanted an earthly king of the Jews, and Jesus pointed him to heaven. That's what God desires for us, to remember that the barrier between heaven and earth is wide open. God is near to us always. I wish we could have read all of Psalm 103. It's one of my most favorites. Verse 11, for as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is God's steadfast love towards those who revere him. As a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion for those who revere him. So these stories of angels, they might also compel us to behave more like angels. Where there is suffering, people of faith are called to bring comfort. When people are in desperate need, military intervention may be one way to bring peace. When someone's heading on a path of self-destruction, God's people walk beside them. There is no shame. God's people guard their steps and guide them with messages of nurturing love. 
I'm sure many of us here can recall a time in our life when angels attended. A compassionate nurse when you were in the hospital. The attention of a gracious friend when you were grieving. The guidance of a stranger when you're lost in a foreign country. The stories of angels are compelling and they belong in our scriptures where they remind us of God's great compassionate love. So let's join our voices with the angels and bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Amen. Amen.